Holly G with the Golf Insiders for this edition of Tour Talk. We are on the eve of the 123rd U.S. Open. It's going to be a very special U.S. Open. Why? Because it's being played in, in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Country Club, designed back in the day of golden architecture. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. It's going to be a big fun tournament to watch on television, and it's always a pleasure to have one of my favorites live from Los Angeles. She's one of the best of the best. She is host of the award-winning Talking Golf with Anne Liguori, one of the first women to be on WFAN New York. She's an author, speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist and dog lover. It's always a pleasure to have a mentor and someone I call a good friend, Anne Ligori. Hey, Holly Gee, always a pleasure to go on with you. And every time I talk with you, you have a new cat or dog or something in the mix. So um, I love catching up with all, you're such a, a good person and you love animals and rescue so many uh, pets, so I, I love that. And we got we recently got a golden retriever. Um, he is eight months and weighing in at 75, 80 pounds. Woo! And he grew faster than any other golden I've ever had. And he's a pistol. I, I named him Augusta because, you know, I cover the Masters every year. And when I go to Augusta, I, you know, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful spot. And uh, everybody said, well, that's a girl's name. And I'm like, not really. When I think of Augusta, when I go to Augusta, Georgia, I, I don't put a gender to it, right? Right. But then um, as I got to know the dog, uh, he became more of a Gus. And now I call him Gussie. So. <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, it's hard to believe we're uh, about to um, watch the third major of the year. How do we get here? It's the middle of June already, Anne, but there's been so much going on this past week. Um, we, we won't go into the nitty-gritty there because I think you have to be under a rock if you're a true golf uh, fan in terms of, you know, what's been going on between the PGA Tour and Liv and uh, the PIF and the DP World Tour. But we woke up to some bit of stunning news this morning and that was that the PGA Tour Commissioner, Jay Monahan, uh, only 53 years old, the word was that he was recuperating from a medical issue. And our thoughts and prayers are with Jay. What, what's the latest? Yeah, I mean, nobody's really said much. Um, I don't know if we're going to hear anything more. Hopefully he's recovering and he'll make 100% recovery very soon but yeah it was pretty much of a well was it a shock I mean look at all the the, the stress that the PGA Tour commissioner has uh, under, undergone in the last you know year really particularly well, the last week has been unbelievably stressful right I mean when you think about it every side is you, you can't you can't win right so right. there's so many different sides everybody that you work with or you know, just know, you know, is like you're the target, right? So you just can't imagine probably the stress that Jay Monaghan was under. And then you look at the past year, that was very stressful. And then before this whole live 
situation, he, he had to get the tour through COVID. And that alone must have been very stressful. So, look, he's human, and uh, we wish him the very best. And, yes, Ron Price, the CEO, and Tyler Dennis, the EVP and president of the PJ Tour, will lead the day-to-day operations. And we'll soon see if um, hopefully Jay will get better, and we'll see if he wants to continue or if maybe he's had enough. Uh, he certainly um, has done very, very well in, in, in his young life. He's only 53, right? Right. So, um, you know, who knows? It's a very tough job, and um, obviously this past week shows that there's a lot more to do, and there's going to be a lot more stress to come. So we'll see, you know, how he's doing, and hopefully he'll make a full recovery. Wednesday is typically the state of the union addressed by the executive leadership of the USGA, and uh, today was no different. Anything in particular that that was discussed in the press conference? Wow, there was a lot, obviously. Um, Yeah, I was there. I listened, and um, they basically didn't have much to add with this whole merger scenario. You know, Mike Wan, the the CEO of the USGA, basically said, look, we're the United States Golf Association. We represent a lot more people than the professionals, right? We we represent the entire country and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, the golfers everywhere. So, you know, he was as surprised as everybody else about the merger, but really didn't expect a phone call to from, you know, from the PJ Tour before the announcement. He wasn't really expecting that. And he didn't really have much to say because, like everybody else, uh, he didn't know anything. So as far as that goes, he was asked about rolling the ball back. They're in that period where they're just gathering information and waiting to hear from people. And But he didn't sound like he was going to uh, curtail that based on a lot of the criticism and negativity that they might, might have been getting uh, since they'd opened it up for discussion. He says, no, 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 we really do believe that we are the organization that, you know, must do something uh, to preserve the game, the integrity of the game, 100 years from now. So he really said, you know, he said they would maintain um, the study and, and that he definitely believed that they would, you know, something would be done. So that was um, an interesting segment. And, you know, I wanted to hear more uh, from the USGA about um, last year at Brookline, at the U.S. Open at Brookline, he had announced that they would be initiating a junior development program. And I really thought, you know, they might have been maybe a little further along uh, in a year. And now he claims that they're, you know, they really, it's very important because when you look at other countries all over the world, you know, they help their young athletes no matter what sport they're in. But if they're talented and have the dream of pursuing the Olympics or, you know, some kind of, um, you know, strong interest in the sport, and if they have the talent to back it up, a lot of these young people are aided by the government, uh, at least covering expenses and training and coaching and that kind of thing. And he said, we're the only country, really, that doesn't have that, which is true. And I was eager to hear a little bit more about that. They are, you know, obviously focusing on diversity and inclusion, and they've donated um, money to a public course here. Uh, that needs a lot of work to to you know preserve it, 
But it, I didn't get the sense that they were as far along with this development program that, that I would have, you know, liked to have heard. But it, it is still happening, so that's good. I think it's a very important part. I just think they've been so busy with so many different things. I mean, when you think of it, look how many championships the USGA runs, right? And uh, then they have the Women's Open coming up over the 4th of July at Pebble Beach. So I don't know how they get anything done because, it, it, you know, there's just so much going on in golf. And But I think that junior development program should be a priority. So much has been said about L.A. Country Club. It's in the heart of Los Angeles. Uh, for those that know that area, it's right off uh, Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica. It's it's an unusual design. Uh, it was originally designed by George Thomas in 1927 and then restored by uh, Gil Hans and Jeff Shackelford, someone we know well, and yeah. Jim Wagner in 2010. That was a long time to go <laughs> to, to wait for a restoration, Anne, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. I have to tell you, it is one of the most unique golf courses I've ever seen. And I walked it today. It is a tough walk. There is so much undulation. Wow. It's just so interesting. And it's really going to create, cause a lot of uh, thought, create a lot of strategy, a lot of local knowledge. So hopefully the caddies, you know, have really gone out there and put the prep work in. But, uh, it's really going to be a tough test, I think. You know, some people are thinking, well, look at the wide fairways. You know, that's unusual. Normally, um, U.S. Open courses, narrow fairways. But the wide fairways have tons of tilt to them, tons of undulation. And they, the Bermuda rough is gnarly and thick, and it's unusual to have Bermuda rough here in California. Um, then they have these natural, um, like, barrancas, they call them, these caverns with tall grass and sand and gosh you know you have scrub bushes and so and what's interesting they have uh you know it plays a par 70 it's going to be over 7400 yards they have three par fives they have five par threes and the the five par threes are incredible two of the longest par threes play over 280 yards and then they'll have the shortest par three for a u.s open course and right, number that, 15, it's 78 yards. What? Right, exactly. <laughs> and somebody was making the comparison to Royal Troon's postage stamp uh, par three in Scotland, and that's 120 yards. This, it's as short as, you know, 75, 80 yards, and um, it's just unbelievable. Then I walked out to number six, which is way on the other side of the, of the uh, acreage, it's a drivable par four, but it's a blind shot, and it goes down to, it's downhill to this tiny green, surrounded by bunkers and all that uh, scrub stuff. So, right. I mean, it is really, it's going to require so much patience. Um, then you have, after the sixth, the drivable par four, you have a par three seven that plays really long. Then you have, you go to like the 14th, which is a par 5, then the 15th, which is, which is that short, another short par 3, and then 16, 17, and 18 are very, very, very tough par 4. So basically, there is, it's really going to require a lot of mental toughness, a lot of strategy. You have to know exactly where to place the ball, and, um, and everything runs away. I mean, the greens have as much undulation as the fairways, so... 
it's going to be really fun to watch how these guys can handle this golf course. <laughs> let's let's not forget about the bunkers too. They have this, you know, they all have this fescue around them, and you know, if you if you roll short of them, it's going to be no bargain. <laughs> That's, That's for sure. Right. There's bunkers everywhere with you know the 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 tall fescue, fescue yeah. around the bunker. So even if you don't go into the bunker, if you land in one of those, you know, into the tall grass, it's it's going to be very challenging. So, yeah, there's challenges everywhere. I mean, you have to be so accurate where you place the ball. And I just think it's going to really test these guys. Um, you know, they, I mean, yeah, it's great to be a long hitter, but you're going to have to be a great shot maker this week, have a lot of finesse and, a you know, just have a great short game and then, and then really know where to place the ball in the greens and, and make the putts from all different kinds of angles and and slopes. It's going to be interesting, I must say. It will be really entertaining to watch. I think it's going to look magnificent on television. And, oh, by the way, we're going to get to watch in prime time those of us on the East Coast. So that's pretty exciting. You mentioned uh, ball strikers. Let's uh, go down a list of some players here. I mean, we could spend an hour. But uh, first, let's talk about the Beach Boys, the California Boys. We've got Max Homa, who grew up in L.A., uh, so a little bit of hometown uh, advantage maybe there. Patrick Cantlay, who I guess played it quite a bit when he was in school at UCLA. And then, of course, you got Colin Morikawa up the road. What, what do you think about about those guys? Oh, absolutely. Anybody who has played this course before definitely has an advantage. Max Homa, he shot a 61. He has the course record at, on uh, L.A. Country Club. He shot a 61 in the Pac-12 championship back in 2013. Um, all four of uh, Max Homa's PGA Tour titles are from the state of California. So he came into the press conference just so jacked up that he was playing close to home. You know, he won at Riviera, which was a dream come true for him. He won at Torrey Pines. So uh, you, you have to count him in as one of the favorites. He is familiar with the golf course. He has a course record here, and he's just so pumped to be playing in front of, you know, the hometown. And he lives, he said he grew up about 18 minutes from the golf course. Patrick Cantley, absolutely. He has a good chance. I mean, he's just, uh, he, UCLA is right here. I mean, we're adjacent. LA Country Club is literally adjacent to UCLA. So um, you're surrounded by, you know, the university on one side. And then, it's funny because you can see, you know, the skyline of downtown L.A. You can see the Beverly Hills Hilton Hotel, right. yeah. uh, the Beverly Hilton Hotel from the clubhouse as well. So it's just like, as you mentioned, right in the city, uh, a lot of people don't even know it's here. Very exclusive golf course. It's, it's incredible that they're, you know, allowing a, a major championship here. But, um, yeah, I think some of these California guys will really have the advantage because they've played here and you really have to have that local knowledge. John Rom said it might be one of the best opens we've ever seen. And, and we know John's just got the whole package when it comes to a game for this type of golf course. 
he has won in California, his first major, so maybe some feel-good vibes there. Uh, how was John in the in the press conference? He was really good. I have to say, I have to give these guys credit, because after our just incredibly crazy week where they didn't know anything, they had no warning prior to the announcement of the merger, um, you know, look, their whole lives are up up in, in, in uh, you know, they have no idea what's going on. Right. So, uh, of course, I think ultimately the players are really going to benefit from this huge Saudi investment. But um, they really handled everything very well from that light. Um, I asked him personally in the press conference, with all the uncertainty being in, this, in, being in this state of limbo, as you described, I asked him, how do you allow that to not affect your game? How do you focus on golf? And, you know, he's, John Rahm is just very philosophical. You know, he just said, look, to be honest, I think a little bit in my case is perspective. He said, no matter what happens, whether I agree with it or not, thanks to the PGA Tour, they gave me a platform to play golf at the highest level. And after taking advantage of that possibility, I'm in a situation where my family and my kids do not have to struggle financially ever. I don't know how many generations I can help if I do it properly. So he said he's in a very high state of privilege in the world. He appreciates that. He loves what he does for a living. And uh, so... His response to everything was, I just consider myself very privileged and very thankful for where he is, which I thought was a great answer to that question. It just shows you, you know, how thoughtful he is. But as far as him playing this um, golf course, absolutely, he has all the tools. I think more than anything, you're going to have to have a lot of patience. You have to really be patient, really know exactly where to hit the ball, and, uh, you know, John Rahm has all those attributes. So um, he's definitely one of the favorites. All right. We've got to talk about Brooks Kepka coming off the, uh, you know, big win at Oak Hill for the PGA Championship. It's just so fascinating uh, how Brooks dissects the majors and how he talks about the more chaotic things get, the easier... That was my question. Oh. I asked him that question, and that quote's been used everywhere. Yeah. I is. asked him, I said, I'll quote it exactly. I said, you've always been able to maintain your focus despite what's going on around you. What's the secret to doing that? And he said, like I've said, the more chaotic things get, the easier it gets for me. He said, everything starts to slow down. And I am able to focus on whatever I need to focus on while everybody else is dealing with distractions, worried about other things. And then I said, is that the reason why, the key reason why you think you peak at these majors? And he says, well, yeah, there's a few of them. But he, th- he said, I think it's definitely one of them. He says, I enjoy the chaos. The other thing I found very interesting from his presser was uh, he talked about how growing up in the game, progressing as a as a player he said you knew how many majors jack has you knew how many tiger has arnold palmer watson all the legends he said but i never knew how many pga tour events or wins they had total you know it's it's, for him it's like the majors mean everything right and i understand at pga championship when somebody asked him how many majors he thinks he can win he said double digits. He said, that's what I'm trying to get to. I don't think it's out of the question for me, and certainly I don't think it is either. If he stays healthy, he's what, 33? 33. Um, He's just incredible to watch. Physically, he's so strong. 
He's healthy. And mentally, I was so impressed when I watched him win at Aaron Hills and then repeat at Shinnecock. And, again, at Shinnecock, when every a lot of the players were complaining about the, the greens being impossibly fast and, and the course kind of getting out of hand um, from a speed standpoint, he never said a word. And he just didn't complain. And he went out there and he won. And, you know, he won um, the PJ Championship battling Tiger Woods. And he won the uh, the next PJ Championship at Beth Page, you know, dealing with the New York sports fans. Right. <laughs> and then he won his fifth major at Oak Hill just this past May in this whole anti-live climate. So he loves that adversity. He loves that chaos. It gets, it makes, it forces him, I think, to even be more zoned in and stay in the present more and people would love to know and, and be able to do that how do you do that and, and this guy hasn't mastered he doesn't think about anything when he's on the golf course the golf and that present shot and to be able to do that is very very tough and i'm sure a lot of uh, his colleagues would love to learn how to do that you know it's just such a hard thing to to accomplish and i will add that uh, having been there uh at the pga uh, in my hometown of Rochester, he also played through four seasons in four days, Anne. You know, right, exactly. That's the kind of weather so he, you get up there in May. Exactly. So he, he thrives on all that adversity. And only certain people can do that. And I admire this young man. I really do. And I think he's, you know, as he gets older and gets more uh, comfortable with the media, you think he'd be comfortable now, but... Um, you know, he he's becoming more open, I think, at press conferences. You know, he, I think in the past he just said as few things as he could. He didn't really want to become an open book. But obviously in that um, Netflix series, Full Swing, uh, I don't know if you watched uh, it. But, I did. You know, that episode with him, it looked like he was manic. I mean, it looked like he was going to jump off a bridge. He was so depressed because he was still injured and didn't see a way out of that injury and, and, the, and the frustration. I couldn't agree um, more. I noticed in this press conference, I saw a little bit softer, more humble Brooks, uh, like you said, a little more open. You, I got to believe that's having been through what he did, which he said was potentially a career-ending injuries that nobody knew except his inner circle of about five or six people. You know, we're getting a different peek at Brooks probably now that he's he's won another major, and it's almost like a reset for him. Right. I think he does appreciate the fact now that he is 100% healthy physically, and um, although he still has that edge to him, which I think is, you know, is who he is, and that's never going to go away. It makes him a winner, and it makes him who he is. So there are a few people, I think, maybe slightly under the radar, one being uh, Justin Thomas. I mean, you know, his, his game hasn't quite been, I think, where he wants it, but I can't think of anybody uh, a better, you know, guy with his irons if he gets going. Uh, and how about Jordan Spieth? Come on. Exactly. I know nobody has mentioned Jordan Spieth whatsoever, right? So he's flying under the radar, and with his short game, oh, my goodness, he certainly should be one of the favorites there with his short game. So, of course, you can't um, not pick Scotty Scheffler as well. I mean, Scotty, the whole thing about 
you know, he's been struggling with his, his putter. Um, I asked him that question in the interview room and, uh, you know, cause he, everybody wanted to know he's practicing with a, you know, a different putter this week. Are you changing putters, Scotty? And he kind of screwed at the issue. And so I just came right out and asked him, you know, are you, uh, did you change putters this week? And he said, well, you'll know Thursday. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't really disclose that information, but um, just the fact that he's practicing with this other putter, I don't think during a major, you know, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence that he has a lot of confidence, um, you know, with, you know, the, the day before the major is going to start that he's going to, he might switch putters. We don't know for sure. Well, you but, know, he, um, he had the best stats by miles at the Memorial and, and didn't win it. I know. I know, it's crazy. I mean, he's ranked first in strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained approach, strokes gained tee to green, and strokes gained total. But in strokes gained putting, he's ranked 148th out of 198. So, um, and unfortunately, that can wear on you mentally. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But he did make some interesting points at the press conference in that he said he's trying not to be too hard on himself when he misses because it's like missing an approach shot when you're you had a great approach shot and you know you're six seven feet away from the hole you don't beat yourself up um or if it rolls you know 10 20 feet from the hole but when you hit a great putt and you miss you know it's just as long as you feel like you hit the best putt you can make there um, he's trying not to, you know, really get down on himself for missing those putts. So that's an interesting uh, uh, strategy heading into this week. Don't beat yourself up. Just try to, you know, try to get that putter working, right? And you can only do what you can do. Rory canceled his press conference this week. He's just, uh, I think, fed up. He doesn't want to talk about the merger situation. You know, he said he, he felt, last week he said he felt like a sacrificial lamb, and, and then he went, uh, you know, into the press conference and actually supported his, you know, Jay and his his good friend, Jimmy Dunn. So it was interesting that he was supposed to be at, have his press conference Tuesday at, uh, I think it was 9.30, and um, he basically just canceled it, which I think was the best thing he could do. I mean, I think Rory has to go out and play for Rory and not be the public face of what's going on with the PGA Tour. It just takes way too much out of you. And uh, I think it's been a huge disruptor and a huge distraction for him. And uh, he just has to go out there and, and play golf. And that's what he was doing. Now, do I think he's going to win this week? I don't, I don't, it's hard. I mean, obviously he's long, I mean, he's, he's what, he, he's longer than any, any other player out there right now from off the tee. But yeah. I just don't know if he, mentally can you know is at that place where he can put it all together mm. i really think the what he heard the announcement the news he heard last week i really do think it was a major blow to him um even though ultimately it's probably going to be a win-win obviously for the players i just think he, he, you know he was so involved and not it's, to have any clue at least jimmy dunn and you know they gave him the courtesy of I'm calling him before, you know, went on CNBC and made the live announcement. But because um, they didn't tell anybody, I, you know, they didn't personally call other players to, to tell them. So, but I just think he's, you know, he's a sensitive guy. Uh, he's a stand-up guy. And um, I think those kinds of things do affect him. So we'll see if he can just kind of 
clear all that out of his head, which he's hoping to do, and go out there and play the game that Roy McIlroy can play. He's certainly one of the top three, four players in the world right now, and he's certainly, if he can just be consistent every day, what we see from him is such, you know, just you know, incredible brilliance one day, and then utter unbrilliance the next. You know what I'm saying? For yes. his talent and yes. for his caliber, and and that's that's tough, you know, to do. In a major, you have to be consistently, you know, solid each day. So we'll see, you know, if Rory can put four really great rounds together. That would be wonderful to see. There's so much expectation. So um, I'd love to see him really do well this week. I think everybody would, but um, we'll see. I mean, that's why they play the game. (laughs) It's going to be very exciting. I think it's going to be close and uh, I think come Sunday we're going to have one heck of a U.S. Open. All right, here's my last question. Long shot to win the Grand Slam. Phil Mickelson. We can't count him out, Ann. I love, obviously, he has such a great short game. I saw him on the range earlier today. He was working with some kind of um, tool, uh, you know, on his waist to, to make the turn. And um, I, I just personally don't feel that, this will be Phil's week to do it as much as I'd love to see him win a U.S. Open, what, six times a runner-up at a U.S. Open. But uh, there's just so many other players out there that are consistent, have been playing consistently better that I don't give Phil. He wouldn't be one of my picks, but, boy, would, would that be fun to see. Um, he's been really low pro- profile this week. He hasn't talked to the media. They didn't, you know, they didn't. I don't know if they even asked him to do a press conference. But well, and he was um, off, he was off property um, Monday and Tuesday. I think he even yeah. went home. He he came in for the weekend, and I think then he went home. I mean, right? He was nowhere around, and yeah. obviously trying to avoid any media inquiries whatsoever because I'm sure he doesn't know much. <laughs> so, yeah, they all, the yeah. guy that kind of started all this probably doesn't know anything, right? So. In the world of the, of, of the media, and that's probably the most consistent answer we've ever gotten. We don't know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Across the board. An honest answer for sure. Yeah. So, all right, it's time to throw your dart, Anne Ligori. Who are you picking? Wow, well, a week ago... Last Sunday on my show, before the final round of the Canadian Open, I just threw out a name that I think is overdue and so talented and, and certainly so ready, and that's Tommy Fleetwood. So I'm just kind of, I know he's a little off the radar of late, but um, I'm going to just keep that name out there. I just think he's ready. He, he ended up losing the playoff at the Canadian Open. Um, I was a little concerned with his how fast he ended up Going, you know, playing in those playoffs with his shot making and his putting, I just thought it maybe showed that he was a bit nervous. Yeah. Um, and you can't win a U.S. Open if you're nervous like that, especially on a Sunday. So that concerned me. But I'll stay with that pick because it's a little off the radar. And, uh, you know, I like to kind of be off the grid a little bit. I don't like to pick, the, you know, the uh, person that everybody else is picking. So I love I'll, that. I'll stay with Tommy Fleetwood. Finish on Sunday really embraces the essence of of the game, right? And, I mean, what an incredible victory for Nick uh, Taylor uh, winning his national championship for his country. First Canadian to do it in how many years? 69 or something? Yeah, um, it was just an incredible story. And what a putt. A 75-foot putt uh, drains it. And the support, the crowd support was off 
the wall. I mean, all those uh, fans just couldn't believe it. They were just rooting him on, and and Mike Weir and all the players had come out to to, to watch support him. him, right? I mean, yeah, you know, that's when it's about the title, the trophy, and nothing to do with the paycheck. That's right. Absolutely, and that's what golf should be all about. That's what we love about this sport. And um, it was a feel-good moment for everybody. It was a, a, it happened at a time when I think everybody in the sport needed it. So adding that to the incredible win for him um, was just spectacular. It just made everybody smile, and, and that's what you want to do with this game. You want to smile, and you want to just root for fine play and good sportsmanship, and that's what we saw. Amen. So, Ann, tell my listeners how they can tune into Talking Golf with Ann Ligori and also uh, catch some of your past interviews. Uh, I do a show called Talking Golf. It's on Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 Eastern on WFAN New York. You can tune in online at WFAN New York, or you can hear it anytime streaming on odyssey.com. Appreciate you spending some time with us for this extended U.S. Open report. I appreciate all uh, that you've done for so many of us leading the way. Look forward to doing it again. Enjoy the U.S. Open. All right. Thanks so much. The one, the only, Anne Ligori.